Hey there. Welcome to the show. Ah, I can't believe it. We are in October already. It's amazing how September flew by. But of course, you know what happens when we end a month? Well, hey, that brings up my favorite, favorite show. It's called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And my panelists this time, both of them are here in studio with me. I'm so excited about it. I've got Tim Sirianos on one corner and he is the f broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Also, he is a past director of the Canadian Real Estate Association. And weighing in in the other corner, I've got Dave Butler. <laughs> Dave Butler, of course, he is the broker owner of BM Select. And guys, this is, this is really cool. You know, Tim, you and I last month, we were across from each other and we kind of had, you know, a picture of Dave in the corner and, and when we talked to him online, but sure enough, you know, he's joining us here and it's great to have you both join me. Well, it's, it's great being in person and finally like looking back at, you know, the rear, rear view mirror of Zoom and looking at actual real people this time. Well, listen, Todd actually promised that we would be sitting at a talk triangle so this is actually cool it is a triangle it. it is a triangle legitimately a triangle so. yes <laughs> you know that was one of the things dave that when we when we built our new studio here i really did you know i thought to myself am i ever going to truly have three guests in i went no there's no way you know i only need two you guys have got it covered and so here we are we're able to work together and and uh like i said great to have you uh, I, I, there's so much to unwrap today, guys. And, uh, you know, I do want to jump into a couple of things, Tim, I'm going to go to your wheelhouse a little, just because, you know, former president of Treb, you know, director at Korea, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I saw come across the, the headlines this week, a little disturbing when we hear racism in Ontario's home buying and selling process is real. And, you know, as a, as a, as a former practitioner, you know, I, I, I never really saw it, but can you tell me, you know, like Aria comes out with this, uh, with this survey and they're saying, you know, fair bit of racism coming through the, the industry. Well, that was an interesting uh, article that I jumped all over and read. And, and something that I'm very proud of is our realtors, in my humble opinion, we have not experienced, you know, what we read. And um, are there people who have discriminated? Are there people who have, you know, picked different tenants over others? Uh, there's no question. I mean, some people are actually asking for driver's licenses and pictures and everything else. But, um, you know, we do the best we can as realtors to educate, you know, the consumer and tell them that we basically look at the best person for you based on the credit worthiness, based on their employment, based on, you know, uh, how long they want to be in the property. We do not look at race whatsoever. I've, I can guarantee that in our brokerage, we are so anti anything like that. Um, and we definitely do not condone it in any way. Yeah. You know, Dave, it's interesting because, you know, I've always said to people that, you know, home ownership um, really should have, you know, no bearing on race, creed, anything. I mean, you know, a home's a home. Everybody should be entitled to own a home. Um, you know, obviously how they get there, you know, hard work, saving, you know, whatever's necessary. But, you know, it's an interesting article because when taking a look at it, you know, people were citing a, a lot. And, and I'm going to lean a little towards the rental market too. It's not so much, it wasn't so much the, the home buying and selling, um, but it was a little bit more towards rentals and, and people just you know, playing a hard no saying, yeah, I don't want this person renting. Yeah, it's, un excuse me, it's unfortunate. It's very sad. I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the color of your skin or anything like that should have nothing to do with, you know, what, whether you're getting into the home or not. It should all come down to, you know, your actual situation, your credit, 
your income, everything else, and and your you know the likelihood that you can pay the rent. I mean, that's the most important thing. So yeah, it's it's sad. I didn't know that you guys were talking about this actually before we started. I didn't even know that this was a thing. This is how buried I've been in in the computer this week. So. <laughs> yeah, but I want to weigh in. I want to weigh in here that it's not something that uh, I've personally witnessed. Right. Um, we do discuss you know the the importance of making sure that people are uh, looked upon in the right way. Right. Um, uh, we take that very, very seriously, but as realtors, you know, and as a brokers myself, we have not witnessed it. Right. So does it, does it exist? I mean, I'm not going to discredit the article in any way, shape or form, because we all know that a lot of bad things happen in this world. Right. Yep. Um, but as realtors, we're very proud of our community of, and our industry. Um, we have diversity groups that both the local grassroots level has, you know, created to con consistently and constantly, you know, educate people that these things should not be happening. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you, if you guys remember, um, a, a few years ago, there was a story and of course, you know, I always follow everything to do with, uh, landlords, LTB and things like that, obviously being an investor. And there was a story about, uh, you know, um, there was a owner that was renting out a property and a young couple made an application. And when, um, you know, originally, I guess the owner had decided, yeah, you know what, uh, you know, we could consider them a candidate, but then when asked and pushed to the other agent, um, the question was asked, how old are they? And all of a sudden they turned around and I think at the time, you know, early twenties and, you know, qualified, definitely. There's no question they had the income, you know, decent credit reports, things like that. And what ended up happening was the agent turned around, said to the owner, yeah, probably not a good idea. They're young. They're going to hurt your place. Came back to the other agent and said flat out, yeah, sorry, your people aren't old enough. And I don't know if you remember the case, Tim, but then they took the owner and the agent to the LTB because they turned around called it discrimination for age and got awarded $12,000 for age discrimination for not allowing them to rent. So, you know, I'm just wondering, is this potentially going to open up some situations, Tim? I mean, you know, you being obviously, you know, president of a board director, like, you know, you, you look at the governing of some of these uh, associations, does that not, you know, something like this, this is, I think, maybe the beginning of something that could happen. Well, it's, it's all about education. It's all about, as I said before, making sure that um, the consumer understands that these are the things that you can't say, right? You cannot be asking these things. You have to be looking at somebody, you know, for their, you know, for their credit worthiness. And if it's, you know, that's the right fit to be looking at. Um, but yeah, I mean, age, you know, it could be occupation. Um, you know, it could be many different things that people will look at that they shouldn't be looking at, right? So in a heated market like this one, especially in the rental market that we're experiencing with a 20% increase in rents over the last year, with a lineup of people trying to rent units that don't exist right now, I mean, there, there could be certain things happening that shouldn't be happening, but you're hoping that people are being picked based on their credit worthiness and their ability to pay. Yeah. So Dave, you know, one of the things when we take a look at, at ownership and, and you deal with a lot of investors, obviously, um, you know, coaching and helping people understand, you know, what is a, a good tenant? You know, I always, I always tell tenants, you know, as much as you do with for home ownership is a tenant should be worried about their credit rating, you know, take a look at how much debt they carry, you know, you advise people on how to buy, but would you not carry that same advice over to, you know, a would be tenant that's coming into the market? I mean, you know, we, we, we've got to focus more on the financial than anything else. Well, it's funny. We, when we, when rent to own kind of hit the, the market, like probably 
about 15 years ago, remember it started getting really hot. Sure. We actually would do tenant screening for these prospective, prospective uh, rent-to-owns. And part of it was, you know, it was really making sure their credit, you know, not all the time does the credit have to be good, but it has to be at a level where maybe there's minor things. You don't want to see major items, but it was always, always, always predicated on the credit. First thing, first and foremost, then it was income and affordability. Um, you know, and you'd have people sometimes on the rental side where they're, you're looking at their income and it's maybe not so good on paper, but you know they're running a business and maybe maybe at the end of the day, there's they're not, qualifiable for a mortgage, but there's certainly going to be great candidates for being a good tenant. So, you know, those were actually the ones that we found the most was a great credit, but didn't have that so-called paper income that the bank wanted. But those are fantastic, fantastic tenants over, over the long term. Like self-employed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have your own business. You started the business maybe two years ago. Uh, you don't have enough of a track record to be able to show anything, but you're absolutely correct. These are great people to have yep. in your property. Well, and imagine there's the other thing too, is like, I, and we're running into this more and more. And this is what I, and this is why I bring this up in the last, I'd say five years, I've had more people that were very successful working at a regular, you know, company earning a very, very, very good income. Let's say hundred thousand plus dollars a year. And now they've gone and decided they're going to go become self-employed or contracted, let's say, yep. you know, in a different manner, not getting EI or, or, and CBB and tax deducted. They're just going to go out on their own. And guess what? They're only one year or one and a half years doing it on their own. Well, in, in our world, world weird, weird world, yes. sorry, of banking and mortgages, you have to have a two-year history of self-employment and you have to have the taxes. So you have to have two years of taxes. So a lot of times you have to be self-employed for two and a half, almost three years and have that paperwork. So people are being completely discounted for a mortgage and they are fantastic candidates just because they don't fit in that box. Well, guess what? Those are, to me, those were always the greatest tenants to have in there. Yeah, but you know, I'm glad you brought up the rent to own program because quite frankly, one of those concerns that I've always voiced this regarding that program is a lot of people, you know, the, the, the premise is, you know, you, you give a, you know, a lump sum uh, and your rent can go towards the purchase in the future. A lot of people set up about a two year window roughly, right? But where, where some people make the error, and I guess you could advise people of this, is the fact that, you know, they get excited because now, they, you know, they take a look at this home, they've rented it, it's going to be their home. They run out, they go get big TVs, a whole bunch of furniture, kill their credit, don't reestablish their credit because that, maybe that was one of the reasons why they didn't get in the first place. And then when it comes up for that two-year window that they were supposed to acquire the property, all of a sudden they can't do it because they haven't reestablished. Have you seen that happen? <laughs> it sounds like you've been around rent-to-owns for a while there. Never. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because that is generally what would happen on a good amount of them, unfortunately, was that, you know, it, we all know, we've all bought houses. Those have bought houses. You, it's that lead up until you get, and then you get it, and then you kind of relax and you, you know, start settling in and you can kind of, you, you let your guard down on certain things, right? Um, same thing, same, same point. I mean, they're getting in the house and they're being told, Hey, you own this in two years, even as much as they're saying, don't forget, get in touch with the mortgage broker about a year before they're not writing that down. They're not getting in touch with us. And that was the classic scenario is we would always say to the investor, believe it or not, we'd say, why did you wait so long to have your tenant buyer get in touch with us? Yeah. Like, you know, these people are going to need likely maybe a year of us helping fix their credit, getting them ready to go. Sure. But the reality was, and this is a crazy part about it. And you know, this is that some of the investors would come back and be like, well, it didn't actually pay for me to bring them to you. It actually made more sense in this market 
where they don't qualify. And yeah. now I have to reset the price. And that's where rent to own started to get a bit of a bad name at some point down the road. Yeah. Um, folks, we're going to go to a quick break, but of course we'll be right back with Dave and Tim. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in. So this show, I call it the real estate talk triangle. I've got Tim Sirianos as one of my panelists here. Tim's been with me for years. He is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, and also a former director at Canadian Real Estate Association. And on the other side, we've got Dave Butler. Dave, of course, is the president owner of BM Select. And guys, just before the break, Dave, you and I were, uh, you know, we're talking about that that whole rent to own and and I had to cut you off because we had to go to the break but you know we did we do take a look at you know uh, it doesn't always behoove the the investor to stay on top of his his tenant because again and I would I would say especially with the rising market the way it was because normally they set out the parameter of you know uh, this price two years from now well you know based on the market over the last few years I mean that just got blown away so I think I think maybe that's one of the reasons why you know some of these investors kind of said okay hey look follow on the sword see you later well yeah definitely I mean when you see you know you've got a contract now you've bought the home let's say as example for 300 you've got a contract in place where you're selling to them two from now for 335 but yet that two years from now they're being told the investor that that place is actually worth four hundred and ten thousand dollars. so now in a weird way what they were satisfied with before which would have been like their 10 percent gain now they're upset that they've losing on paper they're losing money and i remember having some of these conversations with investors and it was just that was an interesting time back and i want to say like it was like 14 15 in in that run-up as we were getting into that 16 17 part there yeah yeah so tim you know it, it's interesting though do you ever do you ever see that scenario come up where you know as realtors they go to sell a property um, you know, I don't think too many sell them in place with rent to own, but of course you do sell a lot of tenanted properties, uh, especially in the downtown area. We don't see any rent to owns. Like we haven't seen rent to owns for years. Uh, maybe now with the market and the adjustment of the interest rates and some prices coming, you know, pulling back because of the cost of borrowing, uh, we may have them reintroduced, but it's been years and years. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, uh, investor properties, uh, right now, yes. I mean, many of the properties which are rented right now. Um, we're not seeing a lot of investors actually putting them, putting them on the market because they're seeing the appreciation of rents and where some people are concerned in the media or around that, okay, these are over leveraged people and they may have to go to market and sell them. It's quite the opposite because the rents are running up and because there's such a tight supply, um, or lack thereof of supply as well, that, uh, the investors are saying, no, we're going to ride this out. We're not going to actually, you know, put them back on the market. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's been the narrative that's been floating around the last couple of months. Obviously interest rates going up. People are sitting there saying, oh no, you know, need, need to sell these properties. Um, I would guess with the amount of listings that you're seeing Tim right now, you know, we're not seeing we're not seeing the bailouts and like we're not seeing people trying to run from this market. And as you said, you know, looking at the rental market and, and, and you know, we can touch on that, you know, rents are uh, rents are going significantly higher and it's just purely a lack of inventory. And I know, you know, I think Tim, our, our audience is getting, and Dave, you know, they're going to get sick and tired of us all saying inventory, inventory, inventory. But look, we've been talking about this for, you know, many, many years. I mean, I'm coming up to 10 years here doing this this show and i gotta tell you you know 10 years ago if, if we go back to the archives i'd be saying look at we're running out, we're running out of inventory we have none so tim i mean you know taking a look at the narrative 
I just don't think there's you know that much inventory. So a month ago, let's just rewind the last show. People can listen to it. I said, what you're going to hear today, you're not going to know until 30 to 45 days later. And what we discussed last month actually happened over the past three to four weeks. We are actually seeing some multiple offers in the great areas of the GTA. We are seeing investors not bailing out. We are seeing rents going up. We are seeing activity and people are asking me all the time why. And the magic answer to me is that we haven't had a run up for four or five years. And all of a sudden we've had a new government policy introduced or new rate increase introduced and people forgot how to deal with it. We've had a stop and start economy for two years. And most people now it's fresh in their minds. Hey, listen, if I wait two, three months, it's going to come back. Right. If, if I wait two, three months, it's going to come back. So we have to remember that, yes, many of us are like squirrels and goldfish. We forget and we just kind of run out and spend money where we shouldn't be spending money or doing things we shouldn't be doing. But for the most part, people are getting so educated and they're, they're so like in tune with the last two years. Now, if it was different, we had a four or five year, you know, run up the way we had between 2012, 13 to 2017, then we'd have a bigger impact. So that's what we're seeing right now. Investors are not, you know, rushing. They don't feel over leveraged. They feel very confident. There are, there is going to be some pain. We, we talked about that last month. Sure. There is going to be some pain. There is going to be, not to talk about Dave's wheelhouse here, another rate increase. We are going to see that adjustment. It's just that the mood is different than it was yeah. before. Well, I'm glad you brought up education and this is where I'm going to do my shameless plug just for a second. By the way, folks, coming up on Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m., join me here actually uh, in studio for our Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. I am going to actually unfold a lot of stuff we've never done before. We're going to talk about how to manage rate increases. How about a thing called leverage to last? Well, I'm going to show you how you can do it and get through some difficult times when it comes down to financing. And, you know, Tim, you you mentioned education, Dave, you know, it was funny, just as you and I were walking up the stairs to come into the studio uh, today, you know, you actually brought up the fact that you were looking at the numbers and you said, the last couple of weeks have been, you know, starting to come back. And yeah. so, you know, tell us like you're, you're, you're starting to see more, more mortgage applications. Yeah. I guess Tim was spot on. I mean, I, I and we were kind of searching for like, where, where's this coming from? Is this just a, you know, a little rush after the rate increase and people getting scared for the next rate increase. Um, you know, and obviously time will tell, it'd be interesting, but you know, as Tim's making that point, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, as, as I was even driving in, I was just thinking to myself, it's, you know, a lot of people are a lot more educated these days than they were in this, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties crash. You know, there's, there's just a lot more information out there. I think back in the day, you know, being a landlord was thought of as an extremely risky play, you know, and there wasn't a lot of them. It was kind of thought of as a smaller group, but it's interesting. Now you have how many, you know, Todd's obviously running a humongous investment club. There's, uh, you know, and it's picked up over a lot of people are trying to copycat you and, 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 and they've got some members as well. And it's so, the education and the information flow has been very, very different. And that's to Tim's point, um, this might be kind of like a buy the dip situation where, you know, you've got people thinking, hey, yeah, you know, I'm gonna dress for a couple months and then I'm gonna jump in. And then I bet there's a whole other level of other type of investors that are sitting and going, okay, I maybe think extreme pain might be in December, January, February when the market's traditionally not hot. 
You know what I mean? It's generally people are going away on vacations. Not a lot of people want to list their home when they can't show off their flowers and stuff like that. <laughs> so the idea is, I think investors are, a lot of them also are saying, okay, I think there's a chance here that if I wait, wait a bit more, you could actually see some, some possible deals out there. And that's what I'm seeing. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing on your end. Well, what I'm seeing is the cost of flights going through the roof. I'm watching uh, people actually discussing with us their reevaluation of how their winter is going to be, um, which is, I think is going to bleed into the real estate market as well. Um, you know, again, not to go into your wheelhouse, but you know, the May rate holds are the people who were buying yep. like a few months ago, yep. the June rate holds, the July rate holds, the August rate holds. Eventually, we're going to run out of those rate holds. And when we run out of those rate holds, then we're going to see the true market. Right. Um, when the when the actual interest rates finally level off and stop increasing, then we need a period of time, whether it's one, two, three months, to see exactly how households are you know are reacting to it. So I do believe that we're going to have um, a stop and go again. Um, you're seeing a little bit of a percolation, um, not to burst anybody's bubble, but we are going to see that little bit of a pause again. But then after that is when we're going to see the real market, and it's going to be you know not as bad as people think. There will be some pain for some homeowners who've overextended. Um, but it's a very, very small segment of the market, and I stand by that. And uh, I just don't believe it's as widespread as the media reports are trying to make people believe. Yeah, and you know that's part of the the problem I think with the narrative that we struggle with all the time here um, is the fact that you know media want to overblow things, and when we see percentages, Tim, you see this all the time. You know, when people say market's down forty percent, they keep pushing. The, you know, I think they're trying to give the illusion that it's the price, but it's not. It's actually just the number of units. Well, what what I really want to discuss with that comment, and thank you so much. People are always talking about affordability, and they're talking about values coming down. What they're not talking about though is why are values coming down? People need to understand that the rate, the interest rate payment and the value are 100% tied to each other. So a $1.6 million house with a 20% down at a 2% interest rate has a specific payment. A $1.2 million house with a 4% interest rate with the same down payment, guess what guys, has the same payment. So it's not that there's all of a sudden rising unemployment. You know, people are losing their jobs and, and the economy has come down to a standstill. And all of a sudden, like, you know, doom and gloom is in the air. You have to look at why the values have changed. It's completely tied to the interest rates. That's why you should be buying at this environment so you can gain the appreciation of value when rates do come down eventually. Alrighty, so you know, on that note, folks, we're going to go to a quick break, but I've got more with Dave and Tim. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in this part of the show, it's called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. We do it every single month. My panelists joining me every single month. I've got Dave Butler from BM Select, broker owner there. And I've got Tim Sirianos. He's the broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Uh, Tim, just before the break, you know, we were talking about the idea of the interest rates and how you, you kind of equalize price. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you kind of a, a little counterpoint though. So, you know, and, and, and I brought this up with Dave before that every single time we see interest rates go up, sometimes that, that people believe it offsets the value. But the one part that isn't getting changed is the brick and mortar, right? Because you and I both know we could turn around and say a property's worth one six, but interest rates can make it worth only one four because we look at payments and payments, payments, yes, will drive a market. But at the same time, I always go back to the brick and mortar value of it, right? Because, you know, I'm kind of a builder at heart. Of course. And when we take a look at the big 
big picture, even with interest rates going up, if anything, sometimes, you know, with inflation, cost of goods are going up. It's costing me more to put brick and mortar in place. It's costing me more for labor. Um, my cost of actually building something is actually higher and interest rates really are not reflective of that. So I do agree with you. There is a tipping point right? Where things will not go any lower because the cost was a lot higher. Yeah. But I mean, again, people, um, we understand that in Toronto in greater Toronto, when we're looking at condo developments, uh, at this point, you know, just to give some people perspective, um, you know, you're thinking developers are making, you know, tons of money when it comes to actually building these units. But when you, there, there, you can find this, you know, this information, it's, it's readily available for you to see that developers right now are actually running at a 50% you know, partnership with the city when it comes to development charges, right? <laughs> so imagine if you went to work every day and 50% goes to the city for development charges and 50%, you know, goes to you. And yet you have a hundred million dollar risk to actually build this condo, right? And yes, you're correct. You're looking at the cost of um, uh, the trades to actually do this. Uh, the supply chain when it comes to to different uh, actual things being brought to Toronto be actually to actually use the build. But here's what's going really going on. When that happens, when you hit that point, developers stop building. And yep. and right now we've had 35,000 units that are going to hit the city of Toronto. And guess what? 10,000 are not going to get launched until the spring of 2023 because they're saying right now, I can't take this risk. Mm -hmm. And the only way I can bring it to market is if you as a buyer pay for this and the market will not allow this to be paid. So they're saying, you know what? I'm not going to put it to market, which in turn does what? I was going to say, hey, this supply. Is, yeah, we, we're you know? screwing with the supply. So you screw with the supply and the supply does not happen to hurt you just, you know, for one month. It hurts you for years. Yep. You know, I always joke with people. If I go away for, when, when I practice real estate and I actually sold every day, when I went away from my business for one week, it's really three weeks because mm -hmm. one week is to be away and two weeks to recover, right? And get back to everything. <laughs> it's no different. When you take housing supply out for one month, you're actually adding six months. Yeah, you know, it's a, to, rippling effect. It's, a, it's a tremendous rippling effect, right? So, I mean, looking at housing starts of purpose-built rentals, I don't, I'm not going to educate you, Todd, but it's like, what, 20, 25-year low on, oh. on actually building purpose-built rentals. So there is a cost to build. When that cost is a tipping point, regardless of interest rates, then people just land bank and they wait until they're able to afford to do what they need to do. Right. And David, you know, to Tim's point, so what happens, you dry up all the inventory, your, now your costs will artificially start to go back up again because now demand, right? Because there are those people that have to move. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've, we've had this discussion on the show recently because, you know, I think, and, 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 you know, I'll, I'll have you weigh in on this, but I think, I think, I think the Bank of Canada is being a little careless with their moves. I, th I think that they're, they're overextending themselves by pushing that 1%, then a follow up by half. You know, we got another one coming. Um, I think I think what they should have done is stuck to their plan more of the like ease people into it because you know everybody knew that the market was going to have a bit of a shift. But by doing this, I think you're going to have a rebound reaction. I think that you got so many people pulling back. I mean, there was a there was a comment that about half of Canadians are are shelving right now the idea of buying something. The point is, is not it's not that half the Canadians don't need a house. Yep. Okay, and this is this is this is my problem. Is so where are they going to live? So if half the Canadians are not going to buy, what does that normally do? It reflects into the more the rental market. So you got five hundred thousand people coming into the country. Yep. You got people that are now that we're going to buy are going to rent, 
And you, you see what I mean? Like this is, this is a vicious circle they're creating. Well, and when you get to what, what Tim's describing as the tipping point, you know, my first thought is that just brings in all the value town investors, like everyone that's a value investor, that's maybe not in, they're seeing the value there, they're jumping in. And in the anticipation that eventually the bank of Canada will have to reverse course. And you said it perfectly. I mean, the bank of Canada has made extremely aggressive moves. The idea was, and I think all of us thought, like if they started increasing slowly in 2021, that probably would have been a nice move. And that probably would have actually got their soft landing that they're looking for. Unfortunately, everything that they're doing right now, and I think we can all say we've kind of been calling this for months, is this this approach that they've taken is not going to get them the soft landing they're looking for. We, we, we are looking at a hard landing, if anything, a medium to hard landing. And that, that means we're going to be in a recession. And, and again, when we have recessionary pressure on the environment, on the economy, the first reaction that central banks are going to do is going to be reduced rates. Now, when is that going to happen? That's the big question. But to going back to Tim's point, you know, where it's going to level off, I agree. I actually think, I, I, I think these guys are going to hit us with a 0.75 or in October, potentially, even at least a 0.5. And then I have a weird feeling. I, I don't know why, but it does feel a little liberal politically like they could easily say well we're not going to do it around december and january because we don't want you guys to have a bad christmas we want everyone to have a great time and you know and that that kind of feels like the way they would do things and uh and then of course by that point let's hope that the cpi data has has shown a decrease and a continued downtrend and if that's the case you've got a march meeting where they might stand pat and then an april meeting and by that point if inflation looks like it's at least they've got a rope around it then we could start hearing about other things. But to get to this point, what happened this week? I know, I was waiting, I was waiting for the uh, odd wrap. Perfect segue, okay? So let's let's talk about what happened this week, Dave. Uh, this, this is interesting. I mean, this is, you know, we've been sitting here saying that, you know, at some point central banks may have to step in and reverse course. And we don't have an official reverse course yet, but we have something that's happened very interestingly in, in, the, in England. In, in London, England, we have a situation where the Bank of England is looking at bailing out pension funds. Um, because the yields are out of control. Um, oh, sorry, the bonds are out of control. And yields are also still out of control. Um, but the issue there, of course, is that that's the first kind of look at all these other central banks are saying, we're going to get rid of quantitative easing and start doing quantitative tightening. Well, the Bank of England has basically just said, nope, there's no quantitative tightening here. If anything, we're going to make things a little easier. And they're, they're bailing out pension funds. And that's that's a very interesting thing because that's a, that is a G7 country making a very, very substantial move. And something that we've all been saying is likely going to over time start to happen. Right. So to, to help our listeners also get a little bit further down on that narrative, Dave, um, the reason why uh, we bring up, obviously, the bond markets and what it does impact is it's going to impact more of our fixed term mortgages. So that's the fixed rate stuff. When you and I talk about, you know, a five year fixed rate, Dave, you know, this is indicative of the bond market. When we talk about, obviously, variable rate, that is Bank, Bank of Canada, right? Correct? That is correct. So the reason why this is very important is because this is having a big impact in the bond market. We saw yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, we saw this week the reaction to the news that the bank of Inc. and that the bank of England was going to make this 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 move was that the bond yields especially in the five year and the big yields saw a tremendous i haven't seen a move like that downwards in a day in a long long time we're talking about over a five percent move that's traditionally not 
something that you'll see in the bond in the bond market. So very, very interesting that we saw that because the bond yields are tied to the fixed rates, as you say. The Bank of Canada is the one that decides where the variable rate is going. And I think we're going to end up having, and, and I think there's going to be some tape of me on this show a while back saying that I actually think what's going to happen is the bond yields at some point will start to reverse before the Bank of Canada does. And that's going to be indicative of fixed rates coming down. And potentially, I think we'll see for the third time in my 20-year career, you're going to see a time period where the fixed rates will be lower than the variable. And that usually has sprung some very interesting conversations with clients because who wants to take a variable when the fixed rate is actually lower? And then you've got people that are going to be in high variable rates that may want to bail out and look to lock in to a lower fixed rate and get themselves a little more affordability. Yeah, and I think I think for most people, um, when they start listening to, uh, to a show like this, uh, Dave, it's just, you know, to, cl- to clarify how mortgages work is very, very important. And when we take a look at interest rates, it's even more important. So one of the things that we've experienced also is the fact that a lot of banks, when they start losing volume, they start looking at their bottom line and start taking look at discounts. Uh, We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, Tim, I want you to weigh in on what Dave and I just chatted about. And of course, folks, when we come back, I've got more with Tim Sirianos and Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in this part of the show, it's called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. We do it every single month. And my panel is Tim Sirianos, broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, as well as a former director at the Canadian Real Estate Association. And I've got Dave Butler. You know, Dave's with me all the time. And Dave Butler is the owner of BM Select. Uh, Just before the break, Dave and I were talking about the influence in the bond market. Dave, you brought up, of course, the Bank of England, they were getting a little bit upset over there and, uh, you know, they tried to put out some fires. Tim, I'll have you weigh in on it because, again, you know, a lot of times in the real estate business, people will ask you the question, do I go fixed or do I go variable? You know, the fixed rate, um, as Dave said, it could invert and go below the variable rate um, in, in the foreseeable future. So right now, where are we at, Dave? We're at interest rates around... 2006 levels right now it'd probably be about right you know 2006 2007 yeah yeah Yeah. so you're looking at you know those kind of interest rate levels i just want to provide a picture for everybody listening which are still fantastic you know compared to you know to what we're used to you know seeing again i always say that history may not repeat itself but it definitely rhymes you've heard me say that many many times in 2018 a lot of people went fixed um, we're seeing a lot more people choosing fixed because of the security and not worrying about trigger rates, not, you know, just knowing what their payment's going to be, but they're not actually, we're not actually seeing people coming back to us and saying, you know, they're talking to their mortgage broker and everything else, but they're not going with a five year. They're going for the three year, two year. They're trying to, they're trying to find a sweet spot, you know, where, where they're, you know, they're, they're hearing all the reports that this is not a long-term interest rate environment. We're probably going to see things kind of pull back. Once inflation goes back down around 3%, a lot of people are, are discussed with us that will happen by the end of 2023, somewhere in, into 2024. So that is all their conversation, their mindset, their thinking about where the rates are. So we're seeing a lot of people going with a midterm locked in rate. You yeah. know, we've even been seeing, I'll throw it out there as well, but uh, for a while there, there was a disconnect, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the pricing on the one year was actually at a point where, you know, we were seeing 499, 509, and you've got some people in variables currently today sitting at say 505 with an anticipated increase coming in October that would have put them, let's say at, you know, 5.55, 5.75 in that range. Well, the one year became very, very popular for a couple months there uh, because there was some value there. People were actually able to see the value and say, look, 
I could take this variable, but I'm going to be at a higher rate potentially for 12 months until the bank of Canada starts to reverse. Exactly. But meanwhile, I can take a one year, have my renewal come up again in say September, October of, of next year. And now I might actually have be out of this in a situation where I can renew into a lower rate and then make, make more of a medium to longer term decision. But it's really important though. I'm going to say this right now is, you know, we talked earlier in the show about people going out and buying TVs and doing different things and really screwing up their credit. At the same time, we've seen, and I'll let Dave comment on this one, we've seen where people who've been locked in two years ago, three years ago now, coming up for renewal, who have to requalify again. It's two times the amount of interest that they were paying before. And there are some B lenders that aren't even offering a renewal. So, you know, it's really important that this is the time that you don't start buying those TVs and doing everything and making sure that you you have a plan, right? Oh, this is, I mean, you know, we, we the, the most phone calls that we're dealing with recently are people that are coming up for renewal. And it's the classic, it's the same thing every time. Dave, um, I just got my renewal from the bank. Um, my mortgage payment is almost double what it normally is help, right? Now, the good news is if you've got, obviously equity in your home and you've been in that mortgage for a little bit, the ability to extend that over 30 years and get your client some affordability is there. And we're finding that a lot. The problem that we're finding is what if you just bought your home five years ago, mm -hmm. right? You're now five years into your AM. Going from a 25 year AM to a 30 year AM is not necessarily going to open up the affordability window for you. We're really finding it's the people that have 15 years left on their amortization, 20 years, extending them out is actually allowing them that affordability that we can get them back to. And again, it's funny, those people in particular, those are the ones we're doing one years on because they're saying, look, I don't want to go from 15 to 30. I want to have the ability to go back. So we're saying, look, if you take a one year and all of a sudden the rates come back down at some point, whether it's one year or two years from now, sure. we can actually slide you right back into your old amortization, almost like it never happened. And that's, these are the conversations we're having with people. I never used to have these convos with people on renewal. But, <laughs> but, I want to, but I want to share that it's a very small segment, right? Like it's still, we, you know, we're talking about how much inventory is going to hit the Toronto real estate market, right? Sure. And that is not a very large segment conversation that we're seeing where people are have to go to market. It's not like that. Um, there's a percentage, but it's not like alarm bells. Well, uh, and, and, and just to kind of close this up. Um, so Tim, you and I talk about numbers of deals all the time, every year, you know, we do our predictions this year. We're not even going to be close, but, but truth be told, when we take a look at the big numbers, um, you know, the biggest year that we've ever seen in real estate was 2021 as far as volume. And then we back it down. We saw, you know, 2020 wasn't bad in 2019, but 2018 was actually kind of almost 2017, 18. That was kind of the bottom of the market. You know, we were, we were playing in that 70 and 80,000 range. So when we, Dave, when we, when we bring up the fact we've got renewals coming, it's a smaller segment of the market. I think the people that locked in in 2021, which there was a lot of people that locked into that five-year rate because it was just ridiculously low. These people will probably weather the storm better than most because they don't have to do anything for the next four years. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, it's, it is kind of interesting how the timing worked out because a lot of those people in 17 that had, let's say we quote unquote overpaid. And now all of a sudden their renewals were in 2022. Well, 2022 for the most part, over the first six months, the rates were very, very affordable. So they kind of got bailed out, yep. but you're right. The people in 18, you know, and it's funny, we always talk about this a lot in 2018, you know, in that rebound, you know, 
off of the big year and the rebound basically in 18, we were seeing rates in the 389s, 399s. And so those people are now coming up for renewal. So it's not as crazy as you think, but the reality is, is that I think we got lucky on timing. I mean, that 17, 18 thing and where we are now, it kind of worked out. Given the fact that most, the most popular term is that five-year term. Yeah. and, And that's why I look at the volume. Tim, last thoughts? I'll talk numbers in December, <laughs> um, but I will, but you know, the, I do share the same kind, you know, we're in agreement on many, many things. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't think there's really anything to add to that. <laughs> uh, Unless you want to talk about what's going forward and I'll say that it's going to be a pretty good volume, a, a pretty good volume October. Okay. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to be not, you know, breaking your doors open type of thing, but it's going to just be a breath of fresh air for a period of time. All right. So in 30 seconds, how are we going to finish off the year, Tim? I'm not talking numbers until December. Oh, there we go. So, but your prediction is October could be, you know, so not I'm, a bad I'm, month. I, you know, you, you always get me. You just reel me in, man. So I'm going to talk about this right now. So I do believe we're going to have, you know, the end year results will be somewhere like the way 18 was and 19 was, right? Somewhere around 19 more than 18. 18 was not a full recovery year, everybody. You know, 18 was kind of like the you know, punching the gut kind of year and people trying to, you know, put their feet back on solid ground and understand what these new fair housing and stress tests and everything else, what they're going to do to us. Um, but right now, I think we're more like a 19 type of end of year sales volume. Okay. So uh, I, I'm going to close it up. So I, folks, as you can see, Tim's really avoiding the topic right now when he's throwing this Can I in. avoid the topic? I don't <laughs> yeah, think I completely. did. As <laughs> when saying 2019, really? What was that number? Anyways, guys, I want to thank you for joining me in studio for the first time ever. The three of us, uh, awesome to have, even from since the day we started this. This is the first time we've been able to do this. So Dave Butler, Tim Sirianos, thanks so much for joining me this week. Um, by the way, folks, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, coming up on... Uh, Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m. You don't want to miss this one. You know what? I'm going to tell you, you know, I've been doing seminars for years and years, and we've had tens of thousands of people join us. We're in our new house. You don't want to miss coming here. But one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on is really how do you get through this difficult time? Uh, I know Dave's going to be in-house with us uh, that night and uh, his team, so we can definitely talk how numbers do work. But there are solutions. And if you're struggling right now, you know what? We're going to try to help you out through that. So it is called the Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. I'm going to be talking about investment real estate why is still now the right time for you to get into it? Well, you know what? I'm going to break down the numbers. I'm going to make it as simple as I possibly can. So if you want to register, go to thesimpleinvestor.com and register. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor one So once again, I want to thank Tim Sirianos, broker owner of Remax Ultimate, for joining me here as one of my panelists, Dave Butler from BM Select. Uh, I do want to thank Omar. He's in my control booth, and we got Ian Grant on the other side. I want to thank them for keeping it simple every single week as they do for us. And more importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I'll be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.